Hello, and thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter. I work here, along with my friend and colleague, Dr. Susanna Greer. Hey, Susanna. Hey, Joe. Just got off the phone with Dr. Tamara Summers, Tammy Summers. She's an associate professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Duke, and she's doing some really innovative work, don't you think? Yeah, I... I didn't know a lot about pain management with cancer, and that's kind of ridiculous. I should. It's a probably the symptom that most cancer patients fear the most. I think it's the great equalizer, and Tammy is just doing some amazing work in kind of the, the realm of behavioral cancer pain interventions. She had a fantastic recent paper that's uh, really the first to use video conferencing as a form of mobile health technology, and she does a great job of describing how better pain management can um, impact treatment, um, can impact uh, risk for depression, um, and really assist a cancer patient and their family um, on their cancer journey. So it, it was just a fantastic conversation. Yeah, a lot of access to care implications and cancer disparities implications from her work too. For sure, for sure. I think everyone will really enjoy it. And, and it's just a kind of a ray of hope for all cancer patients, and quite frankly, just for all human beings, of how to better deal with um, with pain. Thanks so much. Let's get to it. Hi, Tammy. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to do this. Absolutely. We have a lot to learn. All right. So let's just jump right in. Um, I'm really interested to talk to you today because pain, quite frankly, is one of the symptoms associated with cancer that I think is probably across the board really feared by patients mm -hmm. and also something that many patients may experience. And so I'm really interested to understand more about kind of effective pain control. So could you just kind of level set for us and talk to us about how better control of pain can really impact the quality of life for cancer patients? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you are definitely right in saying that it's one of the symptoms that patients really fear and that they worry about. Um, their loved ones also fear that they're going to be in pain and they're not going to know what to do with them um, or how to manage that. And so it can become something that um, kind of builds on itself if it's not addressed early for patients. And Often people have not experienced a lot of pain throughout their life, so they don't have a lot of ideas of how to effectively cope with pain. Um, so when it comes and, and people don't know what to do, it can become overwhelming for them pretty quickly. All right, and that's really where your research kind of comes into play, right, is around these effective coping strategies. Mm -hmm. And I think from what I've read that your research is focused on behavioral cancer pain interventions. All right, mm -hmm. so we need some help. <laughs> Tell me yes, about these exactly. interventions and yeah, why are they important, and kind of especially in the realm of cancer patients? Right, so that's a great first question is to figure out what we're talking about when we say um, behavioral cancer pain intervention. So there's a number of kind of behavioral strategies um, that people have worked on and that people are currently working on. Um, when we talk about them within our group, um, we have designed and tested uh, a number of uh, cancer pain intervention protocols. 
And how we think about it is that we want to teach uh, patients to increase their confidence in their own ability for pain self-management using cognitive and behavioral strategies primarily. Um, so these are non-medication-based approaches to really learn to manage um, their pain. Um, so what we typically do, one way that I often describe it, is that you can think of it as a therapy session. So we often have a psychologist or another um, professional trained to do therapy work with patients to teach them strategies or skills for pain management. Uh, some of the skills that we focus on are relaxation strategies, such as progressive muscle relaxation and guided imagery. Uh, we also almost always teach patients what we call the activity rest cycle, and um, this is a skill that helps patients learn to pace their activities so they're not overdoing activity that can lead to increased pain, frustration, uh, or sometimes just giving up on doing activities altogether. Uh, another important skill in these protocols is related to thinking about how patients think about pain. And what we try to do is to see if their thoughts are helpful or not um, helpful. And um, often if their, pain, if their thoughts are not helpful, um, it can increase their pain, um, decrease function. And we work to see if there might be a different way that they could think about their pain. Um, so trying to think about a negative cognition that a person might have around pain, it might be something like, I can't do anything because of this pain, and it's never going to get better. And often if you really have a, a patient um, write that statement down, they say, well, that might not be completely true. Um, they may say something like, maybe I can't do everything that I used to do, but I can still do some things. Um, or I know that t uh, with time my pain um, waxes and wanes. Maybe I'm in a really bad spot right now. And just helping them to refocus how they're thinking um, can help them to move forward. And so a lot of these skills are often complementary of each other, and we really try to work together um, with the common goal of having um, patients have a better understanding of their pain and the connection between their pain, thoughts, uh, feelings, and behaviors. Wow, I really love that. that. Well, quite frankly, this sounds like something we could all use, cancer yeah. patient or not. <laughs> right. This is just a beautiful mix. Um, and I love the, the very first thing you said, just trying to increase a patient's confidence that they mm -hmm. have, right? The skill set mm -hmm. already inside them. You're mm -hmm. just helping them to hone it. So yeah, yeah I we want... know that's actually a, a really important piece of it is that um, often patients, maybe their pain doesn't actually um, dramatically decrease, but if we can increase their confidence that they can do something, they, they do a lot better. So when you say they do a lot better, you're obviously referring mm -hmm. to in this window of pain management, but mm -hmm. is there a link between how patients cope with their pain and then their actual outcome, um, just mm -hmm. thinking about their cancer treatment? Yeah, I mean, that's a really um, good question. So I think obviously um, we, you know, our overall hope with this is that patients um, learn to cope with their pain and this increases their quality of life and decreases their distress. Um, but we also know that patients um, that have less pain may be more likely to adhere to their treatment recommendations or increase overall healthy behaviors, which can improve outcomes. Um, in thinking about this, there are some specific ways that investigators are studying um, how uh, reducing pain or helping to manage pain might impact outcomes. Um, Rebecca Shelby, who's an uh, investigator in our group, is working 
um, on a study that's teaching patients really to manage symptoms that might interfere with their ability or willingness to be adherent to adjuvant therapy such as tamoxifen for breast cancer. So the hope with this is if patients can learn to control symptoms such as pain that interfere with um, adherence to medication, patients will be more adherent to medications that decrease their risk for recurrence. Um, another example that I can think of specifically with that is that our group, along with Catherine Pollock here at Duke, uh, we are working to understand the relationship between pain and smoking. Um, so there's evidence that pain and smoking are related, such that sometimes when people get pain relief from um, smoking, they continue to smoke to get further pain relief. Um, so we're hoping that maybe if we can intervene um, to help patients with smoking cessation as well as manage their pain, that they might have more luck um, stopping smoking. And we know that stopping smoking can decrease recurrence um, and decrease kind of overall risk and lead to better outcomes. So how about the impact of better pain management on risk for depression and cancer patients. Are there links there? Uh-huh. Yep, there's certainly um, links um, that between pain um, and higher levels of psychological de um, distress, whether it be depressive symptoms or anxiety symptoms. Um, we certainly have evidence from our work that when patients are better able to manage or cope with their pain, they have less uh, psychological distress, less anxiety. Um, I think from a clinical perspective, I can certainly say that working with patients that feel like they can do more um, and have skills that they say, Say, oh, I learned this, I went home, and I actually had less pain, they're less at risk to have long-term depressive symptoms or anxiety symptoms. All right. This sounds like something that all cancer patients need to yeah. have access to. Yeah. So yeah. maybe let's dive a little bit deeper into that, because one of the areas that I know that you are really quite the leader in is mobile health technology. Mm -hmm. So I think that's going to be a new term for most of our listeners. So okay. maybe you could just tell us what is mobile health technology? Mm -hmm. And then I'd love to know, I think most of us might be more familiar with more traditional kind of behavioral interventions, but uh, maybe you could just help describe the differences mm -hmm. uh, between the two. Yep. So we um, think of mobile health technology as something that you use either um, a tablet computer or a mobile phone, perhaps um, a laptop computer, to receive an intervention. Um, so mobile technology can be used in a number of different ways. Um, there's definitely standalone mobile applications. So. Um, for behavioral pain interventions or strategies. So these are things that are fully automated that you may think of as an app on your phone. Um, and they've been developed to help patients manage their pain. Um, we know that people are also using similar things to have patients report symptoms in real time so that interventions can be applied um, when needed. When I think of mobile health technology, the, the way that I've typically done it in, in our group um, with behavioral cancer pain interventions is really using video conferencing to deliver interventions to individuals, whether that's Skype or FaceTime, um, but to people that may not be able to come to a medical center to receive a traditional in-person treatment. Um, so. Often these interventions have been developed to, to be given to people one-on-one -on -one so that someone comes into the medical center, but you can see that there's a number of reasons that people couldn't access these interventions. Um, they may live too far away from a medical center or they may not be able to come in because of their health or their pain. 
um, or other responsibilities. So when they're undergoing cancer treatments, they're already away from work and family a lot. And to say, hey, why don't you come in for another four, six, eight treatment uh, sessions can be a little too much um, for these patients. So I think that you are, you're maybe not selling yourself quite as well, but I can do that for you. You actually had, okay. from what I can tell, you have the, the first paper actually to really focus on video conferencing, at mm -hmm. least that I can find in the literature. So congratulations. Yeah. This sounds Thank fantastic. Um, so I'm just wondering if we think about these mobile health interventions and maybe specifically mm -hmm video conferencing, mm -hmm. before we dive a little bit deeper into exactly what you're doing, I'd love to know, so one of the goals of the ACS is um, really as we think about interventions and treatments and therapies is that where you live should not dictate um, how long you right. live and right your, right your ability to survive cancer. So mm -hmm. uh, this seems to just have the potential for having an enormous impact on disparity reduction. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think you're certainly right. I think that's one of our big goals with this work is to really try to make these interventions available um, to a wider network um, of people. And so you had mentioned our uh, work that we did with video conferencing. Um, and that was an ACS-funded study that has recently been published. Um, and what we were really trying to show is that we can give people these video conferencing um, interventions that, that we think that we thought that they would work as well as in-person interventions. And if we could do that, then they would be much more acceptable um, or accessible to a greater number of people. Um, so I think that health disparities is one of the, the greatest places that we can have an impact with these uh, mobile health interventions. Um, we've done a small pilot trial looking at video conferencing in small community cancer centers in rural settings. Um, in this setting, we actually have the patient come to the small clinic um, where they may be receiving their cancer treatment and use an iPad there and video conference with our therapist who are at often at Duke. So we may be 60 miles away, 120 miles away. I mean, you could be across the country actually doing this. Um, and we found that this format's really feasible and acceptable. And these are certainly patients um, in small communities that would never um, get these interventions otherwise. Wow. So how do you see the potential for, I mean, as you said, you could be anywhere in the world and have mm -hmm. access to these types of interventions. Mm -hmm. I mean, in your kind of wildest dreams, I mean, how do you scale this or is it scalable? Uh, I mean, that's a great question and definitely what we're working on. Um, and yes, I think we can and hopefully we'll get there. So I think you're right. We could do this anywhere in the world. Um, you know, one of the um, great things is that we can have people who are trained to do pain coping skills training very well in one location and they could give the intervention to, to someone in any location. And I think part of our goal is to see how much of that intervention we might be able to automate. So there are certainly a ton of mobile apps out there. And I'm not sure that we're completely convinced that you can pull the person out, that the therapist completely out of the intervention um, at this point. But we um, are working really hard to kind of automate every piece that we can so that it's more of a low-touch intervention where there are not um, quite as many resources needed. I mean, it certainly speaks to the huge potential um, mm -hmm. that this could have to impact a tremendous number of people. So that's really exciting. All right. So all scientists 
are usually particularly excited about something that's happening right mm -hmm. now. So I'd love for you to give us kind of the dirt. What are you most excited about that's happening right now in your research? Um, well, I mean, so a couple of things. Um, I think, you know, the, the work that we um, have just completed uh, with the ACS grant um, was really exciting because it laid a really nice foundation for the work that we're continuing to do to say, hey, how can we um, make these interventions shorter and more accessible? We do have an um, optimization trial um, looking at dosing of a behavioral cancer pain intervention. And what that means is when you think about medications, people don't always get the exact same dose um, for the exact same time period. But often with behavioral or psychosocial interventions, we've just given everyone the same thing and not stopped to consider different dosages. Oh, you're right. Um, so maybe an optimal intervention for one person actually is an optimal uh, for another person. So what we are really examining is whether um, patients uh, that receive one session or one dose of a behavioral cancer pain intervention versus five sessions might do differently or that if some, for some patients one session might be enough whereas other patients might need uh, more dosing. And what we're doing is looking at their pain levels um, five to eight weeks later and if they have responded, which means their pain significantly decreased, we put them on either uh, maintenance dose of a behavioral intervention or um, nothing more. And if they have not responded, we may give them more or put them on maintenance to see how they're doing. Um, so in this way, we're really trying to provide a personalized dose of a behavioral cancer pain intervention um, to patients depending on their personal characteristics. So um, we may be able to look at things like pain level, um, confidence level in pain management, their cancer stage, their age, and assign them to certain doses of behavioral interventions based on this information. Oh, that is really interesting. I mean, it, it just kind of blows my mind that you are providing an approach that could potentially be available mm -hmm. to anyone anywhere, but you've kind of layered on top of that that this you understand this isn't a one-size-fits-all. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of the, the deeper dive, I guess, and the next yeah. step. Huh. Yeah, exactly. I, I love exactly. that. All right. So this is the American Cancer Society, and you, you did mention mm -hmm. that we had previously funded some of your work. I'd, I'd love to know if there's a way that ACS funding impacted your career. Yeah, I mean, so um, I would say that ACS funding has definitely been um, critical to my career. Um, as I mentioned, they funded the trial examining um, the use of home-based video conferencing of a behavioral cancer pain intervention. Um, I, you mentioned this, but this work probably was one of the first large intervention trials um, that looked at uh, video conferencing to reach patients and was uh, the first trial that I had that I was the lead investigator on. Um, so the results of this trial were positive and encouraging, and they've definitely provided a strong foundation for the work I'm currently doing um, and plan to do in the future. You know, I was um, in thinking about this, I know that ACS has also provided early career funding for a number of postdoctoral fellows that I mentor um, in related areas of this. So, you know, it's sort of taking this um, idea of uh, wide dissemination, implementation, reaching more people, um, and we just have a number of us working in this area. So that has been critical for all of us. Oh, that's really great to hear. And I, the way that you said it, that's fantastic. That's your elevator pitch. You can take that out there and, um, you know, well, what you've done is really fantastic. So yeah, congratulations. We're incredibly Thanks. excited. All right. So there are a lot of listeners 
uh, to this podcast who are either cancer patients or survivors or caregivers. And I think I'd just like to wrap up by asking, um, is there a message that you'd really like to share with those listeners in particular? Um, That's a big question. Um, I think, you know, in answering this question, really thinking about behavioral symptom management or behavioral pain management and really just overall psychosocial support um, for both patients and caregivers, um, I think it's really important that they know that that support is out there. Um, Often when when someone's diagnosed with cancer, there's a a big focus, and rightly so, on... um, you know, treating the disease and the treatments and what comes next, but it's it's also important to get the support um, that someone needs. So we know that this is not always easy to find, um, and we're working really hard to make these interventions more accept, ex- accessible for patients. Uh, I think in the meantime, I would just encourage people to ask their providers um, and really try to gather information um, from societies like ACS. I know you all have a lot on your website to really get the support and care that um, both patients and caregivers um, need while they're working to successfully manage cancer. Ah, Beautifully said, and I hope you understand that the ACS is really grateful for your work. This is fantastic, and I think you're, you're certainly moving this field forward. So thank you, Tammy. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, we'll let you get back to work. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.